Let us pray. It has been a hard week for many, O oh God. Some of us lost power and remain without it. Some experienced damage to our homes or the homes of those we love. We give you thanks for those who have responded graciously. And we pray for all those still affected, especially as the weather has gotten so cold. We are also mindful of our friends in the Jewish community in Rochester and religious communities across our country who experience threat and violence because of what they believe. And we stand in solidarity with them. And we ask you now, O oh God, to silence in us any voice but your own. And as we continue our Lenten journey, might your spirit speak a word to us again, for Christ's sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is the first 15 verses of the fourth chapter of the gospel according to John. Let us hear God's word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a quick trip to Ohio for a college break pickup is often enjoyable, especially in winter as we play a fun little game called Surviving Erie. 
Maybe some of you have played that game as well. But there are benefits to the trip. I take the time always when I'm driving by myself to listen to the radio to get out of my NPR sports talk radio routine and to hear what's popular on music stations. Now the pattern usually is if I hear a song once in Buffalo, I'll hear it several times across Pennsylvania, then one more time as I hit Ashtabula, Ohio and then drop south toward Cleveland. By the time I head home on the return trip, I have the song practically memorized, whether I want to or not. So it is with a song that's popular right now by a woman named Alicia Cara called Scars to Your Beautiful. It begins this way. She just wants to be beautiful. She goes unnoticed. She knows no limits. She craves attention. She praises an image. She prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. Oh, she don't see the light that's shining deeper than the eyes can find it. Maybe we have made her blind. So she tries to cover up her pain and cut her woes away. Because cover girls don't cry after their face is made. Now listening to it once, it might just sound like teenage angst. And perhaps it is. The more I listen to it through Hamburg and to Presque Isle and then to Conneaut and onward along that route, the more I wasn't so sure. Now a good pop song, and there are good pop songs, invite you in. So think about that young girl, unnoticed, or a teenage boy, no one pays attention to him, or a transgendered youth that people simply avoid, or think of adults, those who aren't sure of themselves because of the way they look those who aren't sure of themselves because of how they feel, those who don't fit in, those who struggle on many levels, whether it's inside or outside, those who are addicted, those who live with depression, those who on the outside seemingly don't struggle but live with the sense that their entire life is a facade ready to crumble at any moment those who have been kept down because of lack of privilege, and those who have perpetrated privilege and know they must change. Those who, young or old, for whatever reason, physical or emotional or relational or even spiritual, are unnoticed, who can't see the light that's shining, who experience pain. It could be any of us. It might be all of us. Here's the chorus. But there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark, 
You should know you're beautiful just the way you are. And you don't have to change a thing. The world could change its heart. No scars to your beautiful. We're stars and we're beautiful. You're beautiful just the way you are. No scars to your beautiful. Well, we do not know her name, though she commands considerable biblical real estate in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus is in the Samaritan city called Sychar. He's traveling with his disciples. It is high noon. He is hot and dusty and thirsty. He's at a well. And he encounters a woman, a Samaritan woman. He asks for a drink, and if you read it closely, actually he doesn't really act. He, he kind of demands a drink. This morning we've heard a portion of the story. I'm going to fill in in a bit what follows. Give me a drink, Jesus says. And, and already, therefore, the encounter is a notable one. Jesus, a Jewish male, would not speak to a Samaritan woman. She, she knows this. He knows this as well. Yet they speak with one another. They engage in a kind of verbal dance at many different levels. It is about water, physical thirst, but it's about so much more than water and physical thirst. That is to say, Jesus is thirsty. And what we learn is that the Samaritan woman is thirsty at an entirely different level. And what we just heard she finally begins to understand who Jesus is, and she asks him for the living water that he offers so that she will never be thirsty again. The story continues. They continue to spar verbally. He makes a comment about her marital status. She's had several husbands. She agrees with that, or at least male relationships. And the man with whom she is relating now is not her husband. And you can read this interaction, these few verses, in many different ways. Some in the history of interpretation have kind of been judgmental. They've, they've said that the implication is that this woman is a prostitute. Or at least someone with a morally ambiguous reality. But when I read the story without that lens, I see Jesus simply identifying her status, not to judge, but to establish that he knows her. He knows her story. He knows her circumstance. He knows her narrative. He knows, and she knows that he knows, so that the Samaritan woman can connect with this Jewish man, this Jesus, in an entirely different and transformative way. And she realizes that he's the Messiah. Then the disciples show up. They are baffled by all this, because the disciples are usually baffled by what they encounter. And the woman goes back to the city, and without being credentialed, she becomes a kind of instant evangelist, telling her people of the encounter, telling them what Jesus did, telling them who he is. And the chapter concludes with the affirmation that many believe because of what she did and what she said. 
because she was willing to share her experience. Now, among many things that I am not, I am not a psychologist. Yet I can't help but ponder what's going on here. The immediacy and the intimacy of the encounter, but also its rippling and very far-reaching implications. I can't help but reflect in a week when we've marked International Women's Day. I can't help but wonder in a week when we've been asked anew to think about places of origin and crossing borders. I can't help but wonder in this year of reconciliation. I can't help but wonder as a pop song about going unnoticed lives in my head. I can't help but wonder as thinkers like Brene Brown, who many of us know through her books and TED Talks, are curating conversations right now that merit our attention about themes like sadness and fear and desperation and heartbreak and shame, especially shame. In her current book called Rising Strong, which some of you have read, I know, Brene Brown writes about shame, about the death of our expectations and how painful that can be as we live our lives, painful beyond measure, she says. So I'm not a psychologist, but what I do believe and know is that many of us, and perhaps all of us, walk around with internal and external wounds. Some are self-inflicted, some are inflicted by others, some are inflicted by the culture. But all of them prevent us from claiming not only that pop song's affirmation that we are beautiful, that we have no scars, but that we are beloved by God, created in God's image. The bulletin cover quotes an extensive paragraph from the 20th century theologian Paul Tillich's famous sermon called You Are Accepted. And I thought about Tillich as I thought about all those moments in my life and perhaps yours when you felt all of the feelings and were therefore unable to believe that you were beautiful inside or outside or both. And why I keep saying that I'm no psychologist is that I do not want to project all of this onto the Samaritan woman. But I can only imagine that a foreign woman, a second-class citizen by definition with a backstory, has not experienced or felt one of those feelings that despite whatever inner resilience she has, has not been left out in some way, has not been diminished in some way, and Jesus stops and talks with her and takes her seriously. He accepts her just as she is, 
Tillich writes, grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual because we have violated another life, a life which we loved or from which we were estranged. Grace strikes us when our disgust for our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, and our lack of direction and composure have become intolerable to us. It strikes us when the longed-for perfection of life does not appear, when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Now that may not be her, and it may not be us, but it may be. And so till it continues, Sometimes at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness. And it is though a voice were saying, you are accepted. You are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you and the name of which you do not know. Do not ask for the name now. Perhaps you'll find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything simply accept the fact that you are accepted. And if that happens, till it concludes, we experience grace. After such an experience, we may not be better than before, we may not believe more than before, but everything is transformed in that moment. Grace conquers sin. Reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement. Reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement. Here's what I believe. I believe that in order to do the good and hard work of reconciliation in the world, that we must first claim reconciliation in our own hearts, in our own souls. It's an old adage, but a true one. To say that in order to love others, you must love yourself. But in order to do that, you must accept yourself. You must embrace this self-reconciliation. It is grace. It is a gift. It is offered to us regardless of our autobiography, regardless of how the culture treats us or labels us, regardless of how we feel about ourselves, regardless of how others feel about us. I believe that when we meet Jesus at the well, and we do, he will look us in the eye and he will know our hearts and he will accept us. Simply accept us. And then we can serve him by giving him a drink and we can serve others by giving them whatever they might need, but we cannot quench his thirst or any other unless and until the deep thirst in our own soul is quenched. 
And just as it happened, it can happen. We rise strong. We know that we are beautiful with no scars. We accept that we are accepted. We are thirsty no more. Amen.